Also, he spoke about anger. And we've learned that most of us do have a problem with anger. And the fallout from our anger many times hurts our testimony in very bad ways. In verse number 28, he talked about stealing. And we've already spoken about that as well. And you could read through the other sins. You might think, well, I don't have a problem with that. I'm not a thief. I don't steal anything. And yet you find that when you fudge a little bit on that tithe check or when you cheat on something every now and then, then you're also guilty of stealing. So these are very common sins. And and we think that, well, we've had these things settled for a long time. We really don't have to deal with them anymore. And we find out when we get right down to it and look at what he's saying here that we have a long way to go to get rid of these things completely from our lives. Well, the tone for everything that Paul says here has been set by verses 22 through 24. And that's where Paul says we must put off the old man that's corrupt and we are to put on the new man that is created in true righteousness and holiness. And Paul is telling us that now that we're saved, we just simply have got to start living like we're saved. Well, this evening we have another sin to consider. This is the fourth sin in the list, and this is the sin of wrong communication. And this is the sin of using your tongue in the wrong way, speaking in the wrong way. And we're also going to talk tonight about how that uh, the things that come out of your mouth indicate or are a good indicator of the things that are in your heart. And the Bible says that. So we're going to stand, if you would please, as we read uh, these verses from Ephesians chapter 4. Our text verse tonight is verse number 29. But let's go back like we have as we've read the entire list and start at verse number 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands that which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Now, verse 29 is our text tonight. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, the good number of folks that we have out tonight to listen to your word. We pray, Lord, that the message might be a blessing to all, that you'd help us to see here uh, sins that ought not to be a part of our lives. And Lord, may you help us that we would put on the new man created in righteousness and true holiness. Speak to our hearts tonight, and we give you the praise for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Lying, anger, stealing, all of those are sins that are problematic for most of us as Christians and something that we really need to work on. But if we're to look at one particular sin in this list that I would have to say is the one that we have the most trouble with and the one that most of us really are involved in in too many different ways and at too many different times, it's this sin of the wrong kinds of communication. Now, of course, we know that lying is tied to this. Uh, lying is a form of wrong communication. Anger is tied to this because uh, we wouldn't really do very much danger in our anger or very much harm in our anger, I should say, if we kept the feeling on the inside and we didn't say something in our anger. At least we wouldn't hurt anybody outside. It might, it might be inner turmoil that we experience, but uh, our speech, when we get angry and we speak out, then we're also evil in that uh, complicit that way in evil communications. 
Now, when we begin to express our thoughts and we use our tongues in the wrong way, that's when a Christian really begins to do great harm to himself. He does harm to other people. He does harm to the kingdom of God. And the scriptures are very clear about this, that the power of speech is, is just a, an awesome thing. And speech can drive so many different kinds of sins. If you look at the world history, for instance, you think about Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler was able to use the power of his speech to turn people's hearts to do terrible atrocities. A mass genocide uh, what became a, a thing that happened during the, the, the time of Hitler because he was able to motivate the people in the kinds of things that he wanted them to do. And it was the power so many times of his speeches, of the voice that he used, uh, and the communication that he used that caused so many evil things. Now, this evening, as we think about this this sin of wrongful speech, I want to talk to you on the subject of bite your tongue. Now, you you probably heard the saying that some things are better left unsaid. And really, some things are better left unsaid. They're better left not thought about and not even entertained in our minds. So our speech is really a vital part of our lives. Speech is one of the things that separates us from animals. I mean, the Bible says that that man was made in the image of God. And communication is one of the, of the uh, uh, special things that God is able to do that he's given to man. So we are able to communicate. Animals aren't able to do that. I mean, not in the same way. I mean, an animal can't formulate speech. It can't think. It doesn't contemplate. It doesn't devise courses of action. But man is able to do all of those things because he's created in the image of God. Now, I want, to, I want you to keep that in mind as we discuss these things tonight because what has been created in the image of God has been altered and now these things are being used against God. So this evening, let's begin by discussing the production of evil communication. The production of evil communication. Now, back when we were discussing the sin of lying, we talked about the first lie that was ever told. And the first lie was what occurred in the Garden of Eden when Satan came to Eve and he told her that if she ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that she would not surely die. And that was a lie. And that was the first evil communication. That's the first time in all the Word of God that we see speech beginning uh, being used in the wrong way, and it's with the sin of lying. And ever since that time, what Satan has done is concentrated his efforts against man in just the very loftiest areas of his existence. Now, as I said, God has only given man, uh, just man, the only creature that is created uh, on this earth. He's given the power of speech. No one else has it. And that's the area that Satan concentrates on. It's an area where Satan is hard at work at because he knows that man is different from any other creature in that way. And so he tries to attack the very thing that God has made in his image. Now, Satan knows that man is the crowning achievement of God's creation. And since he's against God, he hates God, then what he wants to do is attack the thing that makes man unique and different from all the rest of the creation. And clearly, that is exactly what Satan has done. What you say, how you communicate, affects you and everyone that's around you. Well, where does the evil communication come from? Well, the Bible is very clear about this. We don't have to search very far to find out where evil communication comes from. It comes from the heart. Now, I think that we can say first tonight about our communication that it reveals the recesses of the heart. 
Jeremiah spoke clearly about this in a scripture that we're familiar with. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And you may wonder, well, how is it that Jeremiah, an ancient living so long ago, how did he know this, that what is deep down in man is the most wicked part of man? How could he possibly know that the heart is deceitful above all things? Well, Jeremiah was an observer. I mean, he was able to look at human conduct. He knew, his, he, he knew his himself. And, and he knows that he knew that the evil actions of men that are in their heart come out. And one of the ways that it comes out is in a person's speech. Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 34, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So Jesus is telling us that what is in your heart will come out in the things that you say. And here he says that wicked men speak wicked things because they have a wicked heart. Now that really reveals what a man is deep down in his heart. But if that's true, then also the converse is true, that a righteous man speaks righteous things from his heart, and a righteous heart speaks righteously. And really, that's the whole point that Paul's trying to make in this particular portion of Scripture. What he's saying to us is, if you have been saved by the blood of Christ, if you have been changed or you claim to be changed, then why is it that there's no proof of that change in the way that you talk? Now, we have to understand that when we get saved, our sinful nature is not eradicated. We don't get rid of the sinful nature because we got saved. That, that's going to be with us until the time that God, uh, Jesus, comes and he glorifies this body. And so as long as this sinful nature is in us, we have to fight it. There's a war that's going on within us. And so we continually uh, fight against this thing. And this is why the Bible gives us warning about it. That sinful nature is there, and so we have to deal with it. And that's why Paul brings these things up things up. So here it is. It's a constant struggle. Now, when I think about speech that betrays us and shows what's in our heart, I think about the Apostle Peter. Now, we talked about Peter in our Sunday morning study in John, and we found Peter in a position where something that he spoke caused the greatest disappointment of his entire life. When he had the opportunity to stand up for Christ, when he could have shared his faith in Christ, when he could have taken a stand... Peter chose instead to deny the Lord. And the third time that Peter denied him, you know the story, the third time that Peter denied him, just as soon as those words passed his lips, Peter knew that he had committed an atrocious sin. And the Bible says that because of it, Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He was ashamed because of his sin. He let something come out of his mouth that shouldn't have been there. So Peter's denial shows us that the sinful nature is still with us. I mean, Peter's an apostle of Christ. Um, he's a, a good man as far as the scriptures are concerned. And we see all the work that he did. But until, until that our, our bodies are glorified, we're still going to have the sinful nature. And we have to fight against those things. And Peter had to do that. Now, we see another thing about, uh, about speech is that it takes the temperature of the mind. Your speech can tell, you, can tell people what you've been thinking about. I mean, whenever you hear a, a Christian break out into some kind of profanity, well, you can be sure that that Christian hasn't been thinking about the Lord. And when you spout off because you're angry and you say things that you shouldn't, when you gossip about someone else, then you can tell that what you've been thinking about, you haven't been thinking holy thoughts, there's not godly thoughts there, and your mind isn't on the things of the Lord. So you can tell when a person acts that way that they haven't spent much time in God's Word, and they haven't spent very much time in prayer. 
And again, we go back to the example of Peter. When, when the Lord was praying, uh, when, when Jesus was about to be betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he went there to pray, and Peter didn't pray. Peter took no time to pray. And when the enemies of Christ were standing around the fire warming himself, there was Peter right with them. And that whole night when Jesus was praying, Peter never stopped to pray in that time. And so when the time came for him to deny the Lord, he wasn't strengthened. He was weak. He was thinking the wrong things. And consequently, he denied Jesus. And I want to tell you something, folks, that if you spend your time filling your mind with junk, with television and movies and reading materials and everything that the world has to offer, you will find that there will be weak moments in your Christian life and your speech will betray Christ. What you say takes the temperature of your mind and how you employ your mind will come out in your speech. So here Paul says, don't let corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now we've noticed here that in the three previous sins that we've talked about, that in each one of these, Paul begins with the negative side of it. He starts out with the bad side, then he moves us to the positive side, then he tells us about the positive result when we make the change. So now we're going to look at the next part of the verse because he tells us not to have this uh, evil communication, the corrupt communication, but then he goes on to say, but that which is good to the use of edifying. So he says, if you're going to speak, then speak that which is good. So let's, next, next, let's talk about the principles of godly conversation. Now, remember, we know that the sinful nature is still there. We haven't gotten rid of that. But the Bible says that we're not to live according to that sinful nature that's in it. In us. Now, and just a moment ago, we read about Matthew chapter 12, where Jesus talked about this, this uh, uh, a wicked heart and the communication that comes out of a wicked heart. But he goes on to talk about uh, 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 righteous people speaking righteous things. Now, evil men speak evil things. But he goes on in the next verse and he says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. Well, the first question we'd have to ask about the Scripture is, who is a good man? Who's he speaking about here? Well, he's not talking just about anybody. He can't be talking about the natural man because the natural man has no good in him. Now, if Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all things, then we don't expect to find in the natural man the ability to speak righteous words. But Jesus said that a person who has a good heart, and that's a heart that's been changed by Jesus Christ, a person who has been regenerated, he has the ability now to speak good things of Christ. Now, if we bring this back to the book of Ephesians, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, it's comparable to Paul saying that an evil person or, uh, has a corrupt heart, and, and that has to be put off. It's the corrupt man. The deceitful lust and the lust of the heart cause us to talk that way. But when a person is recreated in righteousness and true holiness, now he has an ability that he never had before. And that's the ability to turn his life around, to do things, to speak things that bless the Lord and things that are good. So now he can practice these principles of godly conversation. It's important for us to understand that not just anybody can pick up the book of Ephesians and start doing the kinds of things that Paul says here. Only a person who's had his heart change. Now, the problem today is that in many, uh, many of the churches across our country that they're preaching reformation and not salvation. And so what they're trying to do is get people to clean up their act and do what's right, but they don't have the capacity to do that. 
And they never will until God changes their heart. So these principles that we read in Ephesians, these are for folks who know Christ as the Savior. So what are some principles of godly conversation? Well, I'm going to give you just two. There are probably many more, and you can think of more. We're going to talk about two. The first principle is be aware of what you say. Be aware of the kinds of things that you talk about. Now, I think today that Christians are very unconcerned about the kind of things that they talk about. Today, Christians can get involved in all kinds of off-color stories and dirty jokes and double entendres, and that's just the way that we speak. And we talk like that because that's what we're thinking. Some of you probably read the story a few weeks ago, and, it was, and there was a, a piece on it today in the paper about this girl in one of the local high schools that was expelled from school for saying this, that's so gay. She was expelled from school for that. Well, first I want to say this. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not worried about offending homosexuals. I mean, homosexuality itself is a very offensive thing, or at least it should be to all of us. But the use of the word gay... I mean, that's like a joke to us today. You know, years ago, it hasn't been too many years ago, in fact, that nobody in polite company would ever mention something about somebody being a sodomite. That's not something that you would talk about. Now people wear that like a badge of honor. And, and folks all the time are talking about somebody's sexual orientation. And another thing that bothers me, that uh, today preachers can stand in pulpits and as they're preaching on things about the family, they can talk about what goes on in the bedroom. Well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to preach things like that. No, I believe that we need to preach about family and give marriage principles. It's not my favorite subject, as you know, but uh, I, we need to talk about them. But I'm not going to stand in the pulpit and preach those kinds of subjects in mixed company because I don't think that's appropriate for us to do that. But I've learned that many of our churches today, they don't have a problem broaching these subjects from the pulpit. I think it's perversion myself. And if mama said there's some things that are better left unsaid, you ought to listen to mama. But you know what we can do? We can do, we, we can talk about infidelity and we can make jokes about that. Well, we can speak all these things about well, what's going on in people's lives. And as, as I said, the sexual orientation and everything about all that kind of stuff. And it's no wonder, folks, that movies and television are, are filled with this kind of thing because Christians condone it, and they talk just like everybody else, talk about the very same things. But here Paul says, don't let what comes out of your mouth be corrupt communication. And I'll tell you another problem, profanity. Profanity is terrible today, and Christians let those kinds of things slip into their speech. Sometimes Christians can speak in, uh, with profanity, and they don't even know that they've done it. You know, back in the 40s, the movie came out, Gone with the Wind. And you remember that famous line in Gone with the Wind where Rhett Butler speaks to Scarlett O'Hare and says, Frankly, my dear, and you know the rest of it. There were people at that time that were shocked when they heard that in the movie theaters. They went out wondering, how could anybody say something like that in public? Well, now if you go to a movie, I've never been to a movie myself, but if, you've ever, if you go to a movie or if you watch movies on television... Thank the Lord or thank the profanity God or somebody, if that's all you hear, because there's a whole lot more of that that goes on. And we ought to be appalled at that as Christians. Now, the other day, I was, uh, I guess it was Long's Drug Store. I was in, this, I was in Long's Drug Store, and there was a, a fellow standing in a line over here, and he was angry because the line was too long. 
And he let out this string of profanity that women and children needed to cover their ears. And when I heard that, I thought, well, why am I worried about the women and children? Because they speak the same way. They talk the same kinds of things. You know, I think about those little Petro boys right there. Their mom and dad will teach them that they're not supposed to say bad words. At least I hope that they do. They, they teach them that. And they'll say to Benjamin and Samuel, say, Benjamin and Samuel, you know that Christians are not supposed to talk like that. Christians don't talk like that. But you know what they find out as they grow up? Christians do talk like that. And they do it all the time. Now, Christians talk like that because we hear it from church members. I had a person in my office the other day, and the person who said this doesn't even know it. But that person was speaking to me, and they said a curse word right in the middle of their, of their, of their uh, speaking to me. And uh, something I would never say, but that person just went on, didn't even realize that they did it. That's become a part of our Christian lives, and it ought not to be there. We ought not to have this evil communication. And so when a Christian gets mad and they let out a swear word, you know what that is? It's the old man rising up. And you know what you need to do when the old man rises up? You need to take a ball bat and hit him right between the eyes and drive him back down. No corrupt communication. Now, some of you are probably thinking, well, I'm safe on that one. I don't use profanity. And I know that there's some of you in here tonight that you wouldn't ever think about using a curse word. But you still don't think about what you say. Because corrupt communication doesn't mean just using profanity. It means sometimes that you'll open those big chops of yours and you'll say something evil about another member of the church. You'll gossip about somebody in the church. You just have to say that little negative thing and get your dig in. That is also evil speaking. And so when you teach your kids not to use profanity... At the same time, you ought to be telling them that when you speak evil of other people, that's also against God, and that is bad communication. When you sit down at the dinner table, other members of the church ought not to be the subject of your conversation in a negative way. You know, I've uh, been over to a lot of members' houses for dinner, and I wasn't even there because I know I was part of the dinner meal. And you ought not to do that. Don't spend your time around the table talking about Uh, other Christians and putting them down. When Augustine was saved, he uh, put a sign up over his table. I mean, he invited anybody who wanted to come in and have a meal with him, but he put a sign over the table that said, he who speaks evil of an absent man or woman is not welcome at this table. Now, maybe you don't use profanity, but the question is, are you guilty of evil speaking with slander? So Paul says, don't let corrupt communication come from your mouth. But then he goes on and he says, but rather that which is good to the use of edifying. Edifying means to build up. Spend some time building up people with your speech. Now that brings me to the second part of the principles of godly conversation. Be aware of where you say it. Be aware of what you say, but also be aware of where you say it. Now, the actual rendering of this phrase, but that which is good to the use of edifying, is this. That which is good for the edification of the need. And what that means is that you say the right thing at the right time in the right place. The book of Proverbs puts it beautifully. It says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. So a word that's used in the right place at exactly the right time is invaluable. 
Now, you know, you know what I'm saying here, that when somebody needs some encouragement, when they need some uplifting, when they need comfort, when you can give them the right kind of word, then it, it accomplishes exactly what it needs. But you take an insensitive word and a person in that kind of need, and it becomes cutting and abrasive. Now, if you're the kind of compassionate person that you, that you ought to be, you have the mind of Christ in you, when you're thinking the right things, then you're able to put that word right there where it brings comfort and healing to the person. You know, I, I, I'm not really crazy about preaching funerals, but I know the necessity of it. I, I know the responsibility of it. And so when I preach a funeral, I, I try to say the right words at the right time in the right place. You try to be appropriate with that. So you need to be aware of where you place your words because sometimes you can say a humorous word or a joking word and it's in the wrong place. It's not appropriate. But there's a, then there's also times when, when people can be in a festive mood, when they're joyous, when they're happy. And you have some kind of a Christian who comes along with a criticizing word, a word that puts somebody down, a word that tears somebody down. I don't like sourpuss Christians. I don't like somebody who's always criticizing when everybody's trying to be happy. That's words put in the wrong place. So Paul's speaking about edifying and not tearing people down. Speak rebuke when rebuke is needed, but speak words of encouragement when encouragement is needed. Now, that sort of addresses the placement of the words, but I want to take it a little bit further because I want to talk about the physical places also where you speak. You need to be aware of the places where you speak. You know, we might ask a question... Is it always good to witness? Is it always the right time and the right place to witness? I mean, witnessing's a good thing, and witnessing involves good words, but you can actually witness in the wrong place and at the wrong time. Now, I was talking about this a few weeks ago when we were speaking about stealing, and I told you then, don't steal your employer's time to do your witnessing. You take your time to witness, and, and while you're waiting for your time to come up, when you can talk to someone, then uh, uh, let your life be your witness. Then speak at the appropriate times when, when you can do that. It's not the employer's time. But we might also ask, well, well, isn't it the right thing to stand outside of bars and yell at people as they go in and tell them, you're going to hell if you do that? Is it the right thing to be confrontational with people and stand out on street corners and wave your Bible at the cars go by and scream hellfire and damnation at everybody? Is that appropriate? You know, some of these fellows that do this, oh, we're fools for Christ's sake. And they take it just a little bit too literally, I think, because they are. Paul knew exactly when to speak and when not to speak. And it's actually possible for you to cause damage to the cause of Christ when you speak in the wrong way. If you turn people off by your annex, how are you ever going to win them to the Lord? So if you, if, if you, by the way that you speak and the places that you speak, make people believe that all Christians are moronic nutcases, then they're not going to listen to the message that you have. Now, if you run across somebody who says, you know, I really do want to be a Christian because I think I like the whole idea of standing outside of bars yelling at people. I like to stand on street corners and yell at cars that go by. Well, folks, you've met the, un- uh, the uncommon, the uncommon uh, candidate for Christianity, I believe. that Most people are just simply not like that. So we ought to use some sense when we speak our words. But we need to go on here because now I want to show you the outcome or the purpose of the right kind of communication. So number three tonight is the purpose of gracious control, controlling what you say. Now, James probably has the, the classic 
the classic message about controlling speech when he talks about the tongue. And I want you to turn to James chapter 3 for just a moment, if you would. And we're going to read some scriptures here about what James says uh, on the subject of the tongue. Now, I say bite your tongue. James says here to bridle your tongue. So you need to have your speech under control. But look at James chapter 3, and we'll start reading at verse number 2. He says, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Let me stop there for just a minute. What he's telling us here is that if you can get your speech, get your tongue under control, then you are well on your way to controlling every area of your Christian life because this is the one that you have to get a handle on. Verse number three. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, are driven of fierce winds, yet they they are turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison." Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Now there James tells us about the just the uncommon power of speech and, and, the, and the, what the tongue can do for us. James says that a tongue controls the whole man. Just like you put a bit in a horse's mouth and with that one little short bit, you can turn that powerful animal, that animal that weighs a couple of tons, you can turn him around with that bit. He says, just like you can take a ship and with just a small rudder, you can turn a ship in any direction that you want it to go. He says, your tongue is exactly the same way. And when your tongue takes off in the wrong direction, it pulls the whole man along with it. Now, your tongue is a little bitty thing, unless you're Gene Simmons, and your tongue might be a little bit longer than others. But your tongue is just a little... Jason knows that reference. <laughs> um, your tongue's just a little bitty thing, and yet it controls the entire body. And this is why James said you need to watch out. for You've got to learn to control your tongue. And if you have to, sometimes you even have to bite your tongue to keep it under control. Well, why is it that you need to keep your speech as becomes a Christian? Let me give you two reasons. For the first one is to regard the feelings of the fallen. And of course, I'm talking about lost people, uh, being an example to lost people. And I guess I could summarize this up with three words, testimony, testimony, testimony. Your testimony can be very bad according to the way, or very good according to the way that you speak. And if you speak the wrong thing, you tear a person down, you'll ruin your testimony as a Christian before someone who's lost. And yet, on the other hand, if you can take that person and give them advice, speak good words to them, then your testimony is built up in their eyes. So this is what Paul is saying here. He says you want to do this because it ministers grace to the hearers. 
Now, as I was preparing the message, I, I came across a story uh, uh, that another preacher told that I thought was pretty good. And he was talking about telemarketers. How many of you like telemarketers? You know, don't you just love it? You sit down to supper, and a telemarketer calls, and they go on and on and on. You can't get those people off the phone. They just keep going on and on and on. And, you know, a telemarketer is trained in, uh, to keep you on the phone long enough to answer all of your objections and overcome them. And so when you say no to a telemarketer, you might as well be spitting in the wind because they're not listening to no. They've been trained to go on. Now, can you imagine, though, what some telemarketers hear every single day in the job? Can you imagine some of the things they hear over the phone? I was, I was reading about this, and I read the words that another pastor had to say, and I thought the best way that I could do this is just read you exactly what he said. I'm, this is his own words. He says, several months ago, after my quiet time, I made sort of a daily commitment that day that I was going to only, only, only speak positive, encouraging words to everybody I talked to. It wasn't too hard to do this for my wife and my daughters and the people up here at the office that I work with. I made a specific effort to try to speak good, positive words. Everything was going fine until after supper that night. Our telephone rang, and it was one of those phone solicitation calls. Don't you just love those? I'll be honest with you, it's one of my pet peeves. I cannot stand them. I've been known to use a curt tone and just say, I don't do business over the phone, goodbye. When that lady started giving me her spiel, it was almost like I was smiling and saying, okay, Lord, you really threw a loop on me this time. So I listened to her talk, and after she finished, I listened to it all. I said, ma'am, I'm not interested in your product, but I just want to tell you I really appreciate your persistence. You gave that sales talk so well, and I know that it takes a lot of courage to do this kind of work because people don't like to hear about what you have to sell. But I just want to encourage you in what you're doing. And I hung up. That was the Lord's way, I think, of playing a joke on me because he gave me probably the hardest assignment he could give me. Well, you know, I'd have to commend him for doing that because I don't know if I could be so gracious. I mean, just come to church here and listen to Donna handle the sales calls at the church and you'll get an idea what I'm talking about. But maybe sometimes we need to think about our testimony and think about the person that's on the other end of that phone and what they hear every day. And maybe we ought to think about their feelings just a little bit more than we do our own. And maybe we could say the right words. And that kind of leads me to the last thought tonight. Why should we have our speech under control? To remember the character of Christ. Now, do you remember in preaching from the book of John what I said that the fruits of Christianity are? The fruits of Christianity are Christ, is Christ's character reproduced in us. Now, if you think about the character of Christ, when did you ever read anything where Jesus said an inappropriate word? Have you ever read anything in the Bible where Jesus spoke an idle word or where he spoke trivially? Can you ever think of a time in the Bible where Jesus was angry and just decided to spout off and say something just because he needed to be heard? You don't read anything about that in the Bible. In Isaiah chapter 50, we have a messianic chapter. And I want, you to, read, I want to read to you what uh, the Messiah says in Isaiah chapter 50. He says, The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. So that's the way that Christ always spoke. He spoke appropriately. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. So the object we have of right communication 
as Paul puts it, is that we might minister grace unto the hearers. And of course, there's a lot of different ways that I could go with that statement, but I want to leave you with this thought tonight. The right words reveal the grace of salvation. Now, you may speak some words that give comfort or solace to someone who's hurting. That's certainly a good thing for you to do. But you can also speak the right kinds of words that will dispense the gospel of grace of salvation to somebody who needs to hear it. The right words are the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what God uses to draw men to himself. So what we must do, we need to do, is to make sure that our speech is not such that it drives people away. We want to speak in such a way that we draw people to the Lord Jesus Christ. They see the example that we give. They see the fruit of him in our lives, and they desire to know Christ. So speech is powerful. Speech is what separates us from all the rest of God's creatures. And I just pray that our speech will be used to reach others for him. And I think this is why Paul speaks about this specific sin, about the sin of evil communication. Because when it hurts our testimony as far as the gospel of Christ, then we will never win people to the Lord. So he says, let no evil communication come from your mouth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your many blessings. And we thank you, Lord, for the lesson that we have tonight. I ask you, Lord, that you would help us to think about the right things, to be people of your word, to chase the evil thoughts from our minds so that we won't speak the wrong things. Just as you've said that the things that are in our heart are the things that will come out in our mouth. And I hope that you'll make Christians aware of this tonight so that we fill our minds and our hearts with the right things so that we always speak the right kinds of words in the right place at the right time. Speak to our people tonight. Lord, draw us to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.